0: about war slap out? I mean, it's been a a long week. Let's see, y'all were here. Three services, I guess, on Sunday, right? And then uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that's six. So this will be your seventh. So we should be completed tonight. Rapture will happen right after the church service. You're in the right place for that to happen, and you'll be glad if the rapture happens tonight instead of where you might have been if it hadn't been for the Lord. Uh, It sure has been a blessing to be here again. I appreciate the hospitality as always. It's unbelievable how kind you are to both of us and the way that you look out for us. And We sure do appreciate it. Look forward to finishing up the race with you all together. Uh, You realize you're north of us, so if the rapture happens, you all have to hesitate a little while while we catch up, and then we're going to go up there together. I want to give you something tonight here that is a bit of a concern Uh, that I have, and it's not to be, uh, uh, I don't know, depressing, but maybe uh, more along the lines like this week has been, a little bit just trying to encourage you, but also to give you a smidgen of a warning along the way. The last days, the days of Laodicea, becomes about the rights of the people. And all of those things can creep into our lives uh, unaware, unknowingly, because we're selfish by nature. And you get accustomed to routine. Brother Stoll's back there with a knife and a a spoon and a napkin. I'm I'm, I'm starting the service now, and you just got me completely off track. All right. Amen, let's be dismissed. (laughs) Brother Stoll said it's time for another cinnamon roll. But the thing that happens in the last days is, is unbeknownst to us, human nature kind of has a tendency to rise to the surface. And before you know it, your selfish nature begins to take over. And before long, you lose what is the epitome of Christianity, and that is Jesus first and others second and yourself last and it'll creep in into all episodes or all parts of your life. As you grow older, as you become a a senior citizen, you have a propensity, a tendency to move back to infancy. Now I don't mean any disrespect to folks that are a smidgen older than me, but I'm old enough now to recognize my own selfishness as I begin to grow older, you begin to get more childish and you begin to get more selfish and you get more uh, cantankerous and you get more persnickety and then before long Uh, instead of it being about other people, it becomes about you. I'll say amen if you don't want to say amen. Amen. But the thing that can happen to you is is that can affect and infect a church and it can affect your life as a Christian. And then the second thing that can happen is the mundane, the routine duty of doing the same thing all the time can make you very, very weary. So he warns you in Galatians chapter number 6, he says, Be not weary and well-doing. Brother David, you pray, would you please, and ask the Lord to help us. Amen. I wrote down some things in the margin. Thank you, Brother David. I wrote some things down in the margin of my Bible so that I would not forget them. I know exactly where I got them from, but one of the things that I put down here is don't ever allow yourself to get weary because of persecution. The Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Whenever you're not getting any persecution, you might want to check and see how your testimony is. Persecution doesn't have to come because you're being a jerk. It doesn't have to come because you're being obnoxious or arrogant. I don't believe persecution can come because you're standing out there holding a a, a picture of a fetus or doing something contrary to the government. Now I know I'm going to run against the grain when I say this right here. I'm not talking about persecution for political reasons. I'm not talking about persecution because you don't like Democrats or you don't like Republicans or you don't like Tea Party or you don't like independents and you don't want to see the flag and this and that and the other. I'm not talking about that foolishness. All that stuff's carnal stuff. I don't care if you vote or don't vote. It doesn't matter to me. Really, I don't care but I don't think it has a place in the church house. I'm looking for the King of Kings to come to take me out of here. I appreciate and I respect the military people that have fought and bled for this country to allow me the privilege of being able to gather on a Thursday night and have a church service. I can carry a Bible in a plane. I can carry a Bible in my car. I can carry a Bible in most of the places I have a chance to go. I can stand out on a street corner and I can preach. That has been at a high cost. The Constitution allows you to do that, but the Constitution doesn't trump the Bible. And one of the things that's happening nowadays is, is in our churches, we're getting persecuted because of political affiliations. And if you know anything about how the government is set up when it comes to you being able to take take that off your income taxes, you know, it's a strange thing to me. It's almost as if we think we're giving so much that that deduction that we get at the end of the year is worth really fighting for. I mean, you know, hey, I contributed however many dollars that you contributed this year. Like it really moves the needle on the amount of income taxes you pay. But you know what I'm seeing people do? The government tells you, now, if you're going to be able to deduct that, you're supposed to have separation between church and state. But you know what's starting to happen? You're starting to be more concerned about your personal rights than you are about what the Lord tells you to do and that's to be concerned about souls going to hell and people not living right and people not doing right in the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, we'd be getting more interested in the clouds than we are in the clouds. And the way that you just responded to that, let me know that. You say, what? We're infatuated with it. We're just completely saturated with it. We're covered up because God's church is now being used to placate what we think is best for us. I know why you vote the way you vote. Because it's self-serving. You think it'll give you a break on your taxes, or you think it'll give you whoever's in the office that will have got to vote along the lines that you want to vote along the lines. I'm all for you believing in that stuff. I just don't believe it has a place in the church. I don't believe it has a place in a Christian's life when that trumps what God would have you to do. And I use that word intentionally. You say what? Trumps. Where's all the preachers coming out now that were pushing you to make sure you voted for him like he was the second coming of Jesus Christ and now you're finding out all the political dirty laundry that's out there and where's all the preachers saying, you know what, I shouldn't have told you that. We should have stayed out of it. And y'all thought he was the guy. And so now you got some guy up there who just got out of the the, the, uh, memory care center or something like that. And he's up there running things. And you're thinking, what is that? Romans 13, that's God putting in what the nation deserves. That's what that is. That's representative of what God thinks about your nation. That's your attitude. So God says, I'm going to give you that. That's why he gave Israel Saul was because of them. Now listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm simply saying I'm not talking about persecution that comes because of stupidity. I don't believe in going and standing on a street corner and the police comes up and tells you you can't preach here, you gotta go down the street and you plant your flag and die on that hill. I believe in street preaching. But I believe it can be done in such a fashion that it doesn't have to always be in opposition like you're getting persecuted for Christ. That's not persecuted for Christ. That's persecuted for stupidity. I don't believe in going to Walmart and sticking tracks in everybody's shoes over there. That's private property. Well, uh, see, I got you. You, th- you don't get, listen, if a Muslim did that, you'd be mad about it. Or a Mormon did it, or whatever. But because you're a Bible believer, you think it's okay to break the law or break the rules. They pay thousands and thousands and millions of dollars, advertising dollars, to get people to come to their store. And then you stand there and accost them there. Can't you learn a better way? Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm trying to give you the right perspective on persecution. There's a lot of people saying nowadays they're being persecuted for Christ. They're being persecuted for being spiritual retards. That's what they're doing. You have to have some sense. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You'll get plenty of persecution if you just live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you have to do. But you know what I do know? I do know this. I know that if you're going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, persecution's going to come. It'll come from your family. It'll come from your friends. It'll cost you in your finances and it may restrict your freedom. There's your four F's for your Sunday morning message if you want it. But the bottom line is, is persecution can wear you down. But persecution for the right reason is the right thing don't let it wear you down understand that's what's gonna happen everybody is not thinking that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and so you preach something some people like it and some people don't like it and some people could care less you'll generally find it's divided into thirds just like that in a church there's people that will back you no matter what you say or what you do there's other people that could care less what you say or what you do and there's a third that's gonna always be contrary to whatever you say or what you do (coughs) you say what does that do keeps you honest That's how life is. You have to recognize some of the persecution that you get when you go to work is just because you're a Christian. You don't have to do anything or say anything. All you do is bow your head and say a blessing over your meal. Every now and then you might say, well, praise the Lord or thank you, Lord. I sure appreciate that, Lord. And it bothers people. It agitates them. So you know what they do? You got a big bullseye on your back and they can't wait to see you go down. Don't get worn out with that. That's part of the Christian life. Get accustomed to it. Embrace it. Take the pain that comes with that and recognize it. Hey, I must be doing something or there wouldn't be opposition. Whenever you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ and there's no opposition, you better walk, watch out. You're fixing to walk into a booby trap. Amen. You are about to get ambushed. You say, why? Pathway to the Lord is lined with minefields. It gets better. Just hang on for a minute. Don't get weary when it comes to persecution and those kinds of things. Don't get weary because you don't have visible results. That's hard, isn't it? You witness and you witness and you witness and you witness and all of a sudden you're not seeing any results coming in and then you know what? You begin to think to yourself, you begin to think to yourself, well, what's the point of doing this? I'm telling everybody nobody's getting saved. Nobody's coming. The church isn't growing, but it's still right to do it. Listen, when you go out there and you plow a field and you turn the ground over and you put the seeds in the ground, you can go out there and look at it every day. You can stand there and look at it at night with a flashlight. That thing will lay fallow like that for a long time until one day a little bitty sprout comes up. But guess what? If you're looking for corn on the end of that little sprout until it gets about six feet up and tassels out at the top, you're going to wind up mowing that thing down because you're expecting something before it's time. You can throw some nitrogen on it and you can make the thing grow up really really fast but you know what will happen? It will wind up coming up there and the stalk won't support the ear when it comes out and so it will break the stalk off. Or when it does come out there the ear of corn will be so small and so bitter and so hard you can't even make cow corn out of it. You say what? You have to learn to wait on timing. I hate to tell you this but the turkey don't get ready. You set it at 425 and you put 10 pounds of turkey in there and two hours per pound or however they do the thing and slather it with butter and get it all ready and then you set it in there. It doesn't cook like a microwave. It takes time for it to bake, to roast, for it to turn golden brown or whatever to make the, 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 uh, the Publix commercial or the grocery store commercial about it. It takes a little bit of time. The biggest thing is is don't get weary with speed. Learn it's more about accuracy. God does things slow. You ever notice the Lord in the Bible? The Lord's always walking. He's never in a hurry. I told you last year when I was here, I think it was March or so of last year, and Pete's out there on the ocean. The Bible says they're in a bad storm. The Lord's been watching them out there for a long period of time, and He's looking at them rowing against the wind, and He goes out there, and the Bible says two things that I find really odd. One, it says, and the Lord came walking on the water. Find me a place where the Lord's ever running. That'll be something for you to think about. the Lord ever running. you ever get in a mess and call down to the Lord and expect him to show up right now, and he's walking? You know the second thing that's odd to me in that passage, because he, he walks by and he says, "Hey, it is I, be not afraid. Be of good cheer." And he keeps walking. Like, I'm going to leave you alone, but one cried out. You know how that story goes. But ladies and gentlemen, you have to recognize the Lord is interested in slow and steady that rends the race. You're the tortoise, you ain't the rabbit. And there's too much of this, we got to hurry, we got to hurry, we got to hurry. When you hurry is when you make mistakes. When you hurry is when you get ahead of God. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings of you, they shall run and not be where they shall walk and not be faint. What do you mean to wait on the Lord? That means don't get ahead of Him. That means walking with him means enjoy the walk while you're walking. Some of you get in just way too big of a hurry and you get worn out that everybody's not catching up with you. How come they don't see it? How come they don't do it? we got to hurry. we got to hurry. we got to hurry. we got to hurry. Listen, you need to put a sea anchor out in your Christian life. Those of you besides Brother Mike that was in the Navy, those of you that know about a sea anchor, that's not an anchor that's anchored to the ground. That is an anchor that's like a big old gigantic uh, huge open garbage bag hanging off the back of the ship. It's made out of canvas. And what that thing does is, is it pulls on the stern and it keeps the ship upright. It doesn't keep the ship from moving with the current, but what it means is, is when the waves come and the wind comes, if the ship goes over, the tug on the back of that will keep that ship upright. You know why a lot of Christians capsize nowadays? They cut the sea anchor off, and boy, it's Katie bar the door, and before long, they get broadsided by a brogue wave, and they get blown over, and the next thing you know, the ship's tumbling over and tumbling over and tumbling over, and you say, yeah, but boy, they sure did run well for a while. He says in Hebrews chapter number 12, let us run the race with, you know the word? With what? You know what he's saying there? He's saying you better slow down. God's not in a hurry. What are you in such a hurry for? You say, well, preacher, i got to hurry up and get him in. i got to hurry up and get him in. i got to hurry up and get him in. i got to hurry up and get him in. I wish you'd be as concerned about somebody getting saved as you are about worrying about getting the crops in out of the field. Don't get weary that it doesn't move at the pace you want it to move at. It moves at God's pace. If you move it at your pace, you know what will happen? It will collapse. You say, why? God's going to do it when God wants to do it. You just want to make sure you're in step with Him. This isn't intended to be a rebuke. It's just intended to give you something to think about. That should take pressure off of you. It's okay to grow. Can I say this to you? Don't get weary with Christians that don't grow at the pace you think they ought to grow at. I mean, I've watched these little babies get hatched out. I've known some of these little ones around here, and they're grown up now. But you know the strange thing when that baby comes out? You can't say, you're ready for the first grade. That baby is going to be ready for the first grade when he's five or six. You can't speed that up. You're ready. You're five or six years old. I don't care if they can say their ABCs backwards when they're ready to go in the first grade. I don't care if they can quote them in Hebrew and Greek or Aramaic or anything else. They're going to go to the first grade and they have to complete the first grade before they go to the second grade. Well, they're in special classes and there and, and, and classes for the genius people and this and that and the other. You don't take that kid and put him in the 12th grade. But oh, how quick we are to put a Christian in the 12th grade. Well, they've been saved for three weeks. I mean, how come they're not winning souls, hadn't already read their Bible through, signed up for Bible school, preaching out on the street, knocking on doors, being bold as a lion. Where's the bumper sticker on their car? How come they haven't changed the way they dress? They need to get a haircut. They need to get a shave. They need to do this. They need to do this. Why don't you just not be in a hurry? Let God grow them instead of you grow them. Are you that uncomfortable in your own skin to just recognize everybody's not like you? This isn't really going too well. This is the last night of the meeting and it's supposed to kind of be uplifting. But you know what? It should take some pressure off of you to recognize it's not your responsibility to grow his kids. It's your pastor's responsibility to feed them. And it's your job to tolerate them. Learn to be patient with people. Learn to recognize that people don't always do what you think they ought to do. But can I say this to you? Look in the cotton-picking mirror, neither did you. And if you were to go back to when you were in your teens and stuff, I bet you, I bet you might maybe possibly find some. maybe there's a few exceptions, but you might possibly find something where God was awful gracious to you or your whole life would have took an entirely different turn. Amen. But don't we forget about that stuff. While I'm on this, can I say this to you? Uh, don't forget to lose your patience and don't get weary in praying for prodigals. You say, well, they're prodigals. They're out, man. Yeah, but they're somebody's prodigal. I think the father, if I could paint, I think the father's checking every day at sunset, looking down the road there to see if that boy's coming down the road. I don't think he ever gave up to hope that that kid would come home. I think he stayed there. How long he was there? The Bible doesn't say how long he was there. Long enough to spend a whole lot of money. It took him a while to run through it. It looks like he wound up being in the upper echelon there, had some political prowess, knew a lot of people that were there. But you know what happens? You get tired of praying for them. Well, they ain't never coming back. Well, I've seen them come back. Amen. If they were your prodigal, wouldn't you want to be praying for them? I mean, you say, well, preacher, do you have prodigals? Yeah, i got prodigals. You say, what's going to happen? They ain't dead yet. Well, the preacher, they're pretty messed up. They're messed up like a soup sandwich. I mean, I think they've gone down as far as you know. You know what? I'm amazed at Christian individuals that love the Lord and believe the book, how intolerant they are of people that would be just like them had it not been for the grace of God. And if it had not been for the grace of God, you'd be on the street working to be able to supply what you need to run something in in your arm, or you'd already be dead, or you'd be in a crack house somewhere tonight. You wouldn't be sitting in church. You have a prodigal in every one of us. We just know how to leave without leaving the father's house. It's called the elder brother. Oh, I would never go there and I would never do this and I know. But you'll talk about everybody that's down there doing that. As if, you know, well, I never did that. And then God help us. You know what? We had a prodigal come home one day to the church and they came back and they were a mess. And they wanted to get right and get things fixed up and we made a big to-do over it. We made a big deal. We were glad. We didn't have them get out and parade all the stuff they did and all the things they did wrong. We were just glad that they came back in, right? You know what one fellow said? Man, I make you want to be a prodigal. You get greeted like that when you come back. Appreciate that, elder brother. Can I say don't get weary in praying for prodigals? Can I say don't get weary in praying for the backslidden? Can I say don't get weary in being patient or tolerating people? You say, why? Because until we get to heaven, we are all messed up. Amen. And guess what? You may have it all fixed today, but tomorrow's coming. Amen. Yeah. You say, why do you tell me that? That'll keep you from getting your full head knocked off. You say, why? You don't know what might happen tomorrow where you wind up losing your mind, you lose your way, and you go off the deep end. Preacher, I just don't believe that would ever happen to me. Careful, pride goeth before a fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction. You think you got it all down pat? You know what you better say? But by the grace of God, there go I. Now, I'm not talking about running in that kind of, a, of an atmosphere and staying around it. I'm saying you should be cautious. You should be careful. You know what creates conflict in churches sometimes? It's a bunch of elder brothers who think they're better than the prodigals. But they're both the father's children. And then before long, you know what begins, listen, I'm for living right. I'm for doing right. I'm for acting right. I'm, I'm for all of those kinds of things. But I've been at this long enough to know that just ain't where people live all the time. And I have to tell you that what has done more damage than the prodigals in the churches that I've been around affiliated with are the elder brothers who think, oh, I would never do something like that. And their heart no longer breaks for people that are out there in the world because, you know, all their families, perfect little ducklings, and everybody's doing the things they're supposed to do and those kind of things. You know what it does? It makes it pro- an atmosphere, produces an atmosphere where the prodigals don't want to come home. I think every night, I think mama got up there and she made biscuits, probably made that boy's favorite meal at least once or twice a week and set a plate at that place and the elder brother coming there, what's that for? Well, you know, that's for your brother in case he comes on. He ain't coming home. I don't know why you do that all the time, Mommy. He done made extra food and all that kind of stuff. And <coughs> Now we got to go put all that stuff up. And we're going to eat leftovers. Why are you sitting there? Well, you know, we we just hope and pray he comes home. Your daddy's up there, you know, been praying for him and hoping and praying he comes home. Well, he ain't coming home. I bet if I wasn't here, you wouldn't be setting a place for me. Sure I would, son. I'd set a place for you. We'd miss you. Well, you don't have to worry about me. I'd never leave. No, you'd never leave, but you won't come in when the father's happy. You stand right outside the door and say, well, you ain't throwing a party for me. I ain't coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, the thing destroying our churches is not the rock and roll music and it ain't the crack cocaine and it's not the internet and it's not Facebook, Snapchat and all that, though that's a contributor. You know what's destroying it? It's that elder brother syndrome. It's the way we look down our noses at everybody that don't have everything just right. We've lost our patience with baby Christians. I've known baby Christians to be 60 and 70 years of age. You say, why? They never grew up. Their growth is stunted. And the reason is, is a multiplicity of things. Some of them got saved late in life. And because they got saved late in life, they have a lot of things. They have the difficulty overcoming that some of you have the benefit of growing up in church. You were raised in church. You were homeschooled or you went to some Christian school. You had the benefit of being shielded from that. But folks, I hate to tell you this. Our church is not for just for shielded people. It's for whosoever will. And you say, what does that include? Whosoever will. But you know what happens? We get tired of putting up with them, don't we? You say, why? They're a pain in the neck. But I look at myself and look look at him. I'm hearing that boy sing whatever it takes for my will to break. I'm thinking, man, the Lord has got to be frustrated with me. I mean, I'm pretty high and tight for the most part. But you know why I am? You say, it's because you're a good Christian. No, I like it that way. I don't like to live in filth. I don't have a wife that keeps a nasty house. We don't have liquor and alcohol in our house and cigarettes and cigars and marijuana and all that kind of... We don't have drugs and stuff like that. You say, well, we like it that way. You say, well, it's a good Christian testimony. No, we like it that way. I was a policeman. I don't want to be around that stuff. I love the country that I live in. I got guns in my house. You say, why? Because I was a policeman and I don't want somebody coming in and doing something to her, or taking what I got. It's not because of my testimony. I mean, let's just be real for a few moments tonight and let's recognize that some of the things that we're putting a Christian label on is really just our preference. I, look, I, I don't have a problem wearing a shirt and tie. I've gone places to preach where everybody's like, you need to dumb that. You got to dumb that down a little bit. What, what, what do you mean? You know, We don't wear a shirt and tie up here. Okay, well, y'all don't. I do. For me, it's the uniform of the day. I'm used to that kind of stuff. I'm used to wearing a uniform and nobody else wears a uniform. It doesn't bother me. I'm a preacher. Out of respect for the office, I'm going to wear a shirt and tie. Well, you know, we need to relax a little bit. No, you relax. I'm not going to relax. This is serious to me. This is out of respect. I go at a wedding. I wear a shirt and tie. Out of respect for the bride and groom. Not because I'm the preacher. I go to a funeral. I wear a shirt and tie. You say why? It ain't for the dead person. It's for respect for the family that remain. It's just a way of showing respect. It's a kindness. You know, you need to, you need to, you know, you need to notch it down a little bit. No, you know what? You don't need to have me in here because I ain't notching it down. There's too much of that. Relax. No, I ain't gonna relax because when I start slipping, you gonna start slipping. But you know what? A lot of the things that we do, ladies and gentlemen, that we're wore out with people about, are you getting the message? It's really our preference. It's not really Christianity. You can't find me verses to support everything you claim to have a verse to support. I didn't say it wasn't right. Everything you do doesn't have to have a scripture attached to it. But some things, is just because it's a preference. I don't eat pigs very often. Do you know why? Because I'm a pork abstaining Jew, and it's in the book of Leviticus. No, you know what? She found out that it has nitrates in it and it makes me crazy as a stinking sprayed roach. If I eat that within about 20 or 30 minutes, I'll break out with about 104, 105 fever. I'll start hallucinating. You'll think I'm doing mushrooms or something. And she learned that unless it's organic and don't have certain nitrates in it, I can't enjoy the pleasures of bacon and ham. But if it don't have the stuff, I still make that. I don't have a scripture for that. I just don't eat it because it makes me sick. I can't turn that into something, Christian. You know what you have to learn to do? Sometimes when you first get started, you have a whole bunch of convictions about a lot of things because you pick up what other people are doing and you wind up assuming their convictions for things because you just want to fit in because of peer pressure. It's not your convictions. It's no different than when I first became a police when they had the audacity to tell me everything to do and how to dress and how to do it. And you know what I had to do to fit in? What they told me to do. (laughs) It doesn't mean it was spiritual though, when I went to church, it's go, well, everybody dressed this way, everybody does this, we don't do this, we don't do that, we don't do this, we throw this out, we throw that out, we do this, we do that, and all that. Yeah, but what if I come to those convictions slowly? That way when I have to go back over them, it doesn't hurt so bad when I gotta eat the crow. Because I realized my motivation for doing them was just to please people. So, well, preacher, yeah, but don't you get frustrated when people don't have the convictions you got? I mean, don't you want them to hurry up and get there in 15 minutes and it took you 15 years? You want to have revival? You know what people have to learn to do? Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He saved you, He didn't take away your free will. Brother Mike, glad the night's the last night. He's like, well, I thought it was going to be like a shouting out message. I have one of those up there. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and this and that and the other. And pack your bags. We're about to get out of here. And the Lord himself in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. And Romans chapter number 14, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. I can preach the whole thing without even having to go up there to my notes about the second coming, the rapture of Jesus, the saints, and so on and so forth, and the judgment seat of Christ. But all of a sudden, the Lord's over here said, no, you know, I I think the people are weary and well-doing. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians says, be not weary in well-doing. That's not being worn out. That's not being exhausted. It means don't get tired of doing the right thing, but for the right reason. Amen. Amen. People have to have the liberty to make their own decisions. You're not the Holy Spirit, may I say, with all due respect. But some of you get very frustrated because you have, the Lord has dealt with you differently than He's dealing with them, and it bothers you that the Lord ain't spanking them. And you can't get away with nothing. Can you watch my back for a second? got to turn it here. (laughs) Don't get weary when it comes to witnessing to other people. Preacher, I'm witnessing to people. I'm passing out tracts. I'm not seeing anybody get saved. There's a boy back home. We got a phone call about, what, two hours ago maybe? He's Patriot's dad, or used to be. He's retired now from the Sheriff's Office, a canine officer. He had a guy that worked with him, was a special operator over in Iraq, and the real, the real deal, I mean the real, the real deal, I'll leave it at that. And uh, he came to the Sheriff's Office and worked for the Sheriff's Office, and he worked in the canine unit, and so on and so forth. And his life is a wreck and a shambles, and it's a mess, and things haven't been going right. And he called this boy that goes to my church, been going there for years. He just retired a couple of weeks ago. And he called him up. He says, Sarge, he says, man, I need God. I I need God. And he said, I've been telling you for years, man, your problem is is you need to trust Jesus Christ. And then he led him to the Lord over the telephone. I mean, you talk about hard as nails and really seeing some stuff. And then broken down and all of a sudden and then he calls me and he runs over everything that he did. He said, now preacher, did I leave anything else? I really want to make sure that he got in. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this and all that. I said, you got it all, man. Praise the Lord. They're up there shouting it out in glory. He said, you know what he said? He said, I sure am glad I didn't give up on him. Don't get tired of witnessing for the Lord. It's not, listen, it's about witnessing. It's not about how many get in the boat. It's about keeping the lure in the water. My papa used to say to me when we'd go fishing, two things, very important. Number one, he said, fish don't live in trees. Because when I'd cast, you know, I'd get up there and I was gonna throw it up underneath the thing, and it'd wind up about eight, ten feet up in there. He'd say, Boy, there ain't no fish up in them trees. And then you gotta pull over there and get it out of the lure and all that. I'm sure y'all never did that. Y'all are probably just perfect at flipping it and flowing it and all that. I wasn't, man. I mean, I fling it hard as I could, and it's up there on the bank, and the trees up there, and he'd just shake his head. And I can't tell you how many lures are up there. It looked like Christmas time in some of those trees. They got lures hanging all over them for Christmas lights. And the second thing he'd say, because I was always changing in the lures he said you want me to tell you because he always caught fish and I was always changing the lure and changing the lure and changing the lure you know what he said to me he said I can give you a secret to fishing and I said Paul, tell me what the secret how come you always catch fish and I don't catch fish he said the difference in you and me is, is I keep my line in the water that's profound boy you don't catch fish always changing lure keep the line in the water that's where the fish are Listen, it's about fishing, ladies and gentlemen. Just because you're not seeing a result, you don't know. You're casting out the seed. You don't know when that's going to come in. You're going to walk up in heaven one day. Somebody's going to walk up and say, Hey, I sure do appreciate you leaving that track on that gas pump. What? What? Yeah, you went by the Exxon up there and you threw a track out there. And I know you didn't know this, but I read it. And the Lord told me, you're the one that left it, had your fingerprints on it, and he ran it down. And you're the reason that I got saved. I read that track. I never came to your church. I never told, looked you up, never found out nothing about it. And the Lord said, hey, man, you're doubtless come again. But you know what happens sometimes? We get tired of witnessing. You get tired of telling the story. You remember the woman I told you about at the well? People made this thing so complex nowadays, it irritates the stew out of me. They take the simplicity of the gospel away. Could you tell me, the woman at the well, could you tell me what soul winning class she had? Could you tell me what uh, personal skills class she had? Could you tell me the Romans wrote? She didn't even have a Bible. You know what that woman did? She just went out and told the people what the Lord did for her. You know the greatest testimony. You forget this. The Holy Spirit takes over. All you are is the messenger. If you don't have anything else to say, yeah. Well, Romans three says this, and Romans 3, 23 says, this and Romans six says this, and Romans nine says this, and Romans ten says this. Are you doing that because you're just so proud of all the verses that you memorized, or do you really care about? Hey, be quiet! I gotta finish these verses here right now. Now, if you pray this, if you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I, okay, I think well, no, we gotta to go to Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come to that, and we gotta to go to Isaiah chapter sixty four. All your righteousness is filthy rags. And I, and the person trying to say, could I just get saved here? I mean, yeah. no, you gotta wait till I get finished with all these things because i got to run down the list. You know, the people that I've seen get saved and get in are people that were reached by somebody that simply said, Hey, let me tell you what he did for me. And your testimony is unique to you. It is not like anybody else's. That has enough power to be able to point somebody to the one that saved you. All she did was say, come see a man told me everything I ever did. They were like, oh, man. Boy, he must have told you a book for their sister. And they said, yeah, he told me everything I ever did. Won't you want to go see him? Yeah. You know, those apostles were in town. All 12 of them are there. Not a single one of them brought a person back. Right. They're all independent babbies. She said, how do you know? All they brought back was carry out from Popeye's chicken. Amen. They got vittles for themselves. You know what she did? She left her water pot. She went into town, said, come see a man. The entire town comes out. I think the Lord's just sitting there by the well going, boys, you, don't, you just don't get it. You know what Mary did? Could you answer from this question? You know the story about the alabaster box, right? You know what Mary did? She did what she could. What was that? That's a great question. That's a theological stumper. It's like, can you tell me a song she sang? Can you tell me a, a Sunday school class she taught? A sermon she preached? What did she do? Well, the only thing we can find is, is that when Jesus talked, she sat and listened. And the only thing we know is is she took what she had and gave it to the Lord. And beyond that, but there's nobody else in the Bible who has a memorial built to them. And it's a woman, because why? She hath done what she could. We make that so complex. Witnessing's not complex. Listen, witnessing, this is what makes it so stout. This is what makes it so stiff. Your idea of witnessing is, is you got to run through the four spiritual laws. And you got to run through the Ten Commandments. And you have to make sure that they owe the A and the Z and the B and the D and the, all the other kind of stuff. And somebody else just comes up and said, Boy, the Lord sure is good. That's a witness. Yeah. That opened the door. That'll give you an opportunity. My dad had an opportunity to be with some NASCAR drivers. It took him nine years, but he put all four of those boys in the boat. Nine years. Of hey man how you doing yeah the Lord's good you want me to pray with you I'd be glad to pray with you I'd be glad to come see you I'd be glad to do this we got to do that you say what was it that was a witness he didn't participate in their devilment but he didn't say got to run down the list I'm listen I'm for running down the list when the time's right I'm not trying to discourage you I'm saying don't make it like it's rocket science it's so simple a child can do it. Let me just tell you what Jesus did for me. Don't ever get tired of telling that story. We've grown weary. Well, you know, the story of Calvary doesn't work anymore. Really? Them people are up here singing that song about the cross. Man, my heart's busted like an egg under a giant's heel, man. I'm thinking, I never get tired of hearing about Calvary. I, never, I don't think I could ever grasp what actually occurred at Calvary. We get, worry, we get weary with telling that story, don't we? Oh, you're going to preach on the cross today. Jesus getting whooped and nailed up there and all. Sure appreciate it, Jesus. You know, good to see you. Glad you're resurrected now. (sighs) I know that story. Have you heard the story or do you know the story? Are you tired of telling the story? Boy, it may be old to you, but it's brand new to some people. We had a kid come in our church. She kept—I was watching her in the back window back there, and she'd ride by on her bicycle, and then she'd ride back by on the bicycle. And I was thinking she was going to try to break into something out there, and I'm watching. The next thing I know, she comes in the back door back there. Oh my goodness gracious, man! I thought it was an angel unawares when she walked in there, man. I mean, she had on shorty shorts and a halter top, man, and flip-flops. It's Florida, and she came walking in on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine? Oh, even in my church, man, I mean they sucked the wind out of the entire thing like and no oh, no she wasn't like a typical independent Baptist set on the very back, back there with Brother Andrew and the whole back and the whole that back where the preacher is and you know, where the backsliders are. No, no, no. You know what she did? Because the back in our Baptist churches are filled. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> yeah. They got the innuendo. <laughs> Don't worry, you're lukewarm, you're in the middle. You're kind of halfway between there and here on the fence. Anyway, you know what she did? She came in and she walked all the way down the outside aisle and came and sat down on the front row. And I'm preaching already and she picks up a hymn book. This is our hymn book too. She picks up a hymn book and she's looking in the hymn book for wherever I'm at because she's wanting to act like she's you know, fitting in. Oh, man, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm thinking, hey, you know, I'm wanting to go, hey, hey, people, people, up here, look at me. Hey, 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 over here, over here, they're all. I'll bet the preacher's going to say something about how she's dressed. I bet you he's going to, boy, he's going to, man, here we go, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm preaching over here, you know, and she's sitting over there giving invitation. She's got no idea what's going on. My wife, God bless her heart, of all the people, she's real sophisticated. She walks over there. Nobody would talk to her. I guess they thought they'd get cooties. She walks up to her like she's her best friend. Hey, how are you? I'm glad you're here. How you doing? My name's Drina. Like, Hey, how are you? You're like the poster child for the thing that flipped the buttons and all that kind of a deal. It's like, and so she begins to talk to her, and in a short period of time, she sits down in the front row. She said, "Well, have you heard the story of Jesus?" No. Would you like to hear the story of Jesus? Yes, ma'am. What was she, 16? 17? Never heard it. A period of time, she goes over there, and you say, what happened? She asked the Lord to save her. See say, where is she now? I got no idea. I don't know if she wasn't an angel unaware because I guarantee you there were some people had their nose out of joint. How could you (laughs) dare let her come in here looking that way? Stop by the bin on the way in the church and get a blanket to cover up with. She needed Jesus. Never get tired of telling the story. I don't know what happened to her. Some people get saved. They never become a church member. But they're still saved. Do you ever get tired of that? Do you ever get worn out? Do you ever get weary telling the same story? Well, preacher, I've told it and told it and told it. Yeah, but that story should never get old to you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten tired or worn out in the way? You get tired of living the right way? Numbers chapter 21, you know what the Bible says about the children of Israel? It'll be in Numbers 21 on the left-hand page there. You know what he says over there? He said that they were weary in the way. I'm just tired of church. I'm just tired of doing right. I know I know it's right, but the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You ever get tired of the way? You ever get tired of just doing right? Decide to put it down for a while, go back to the old life, pick up the old stuff, kind of walk that carnal line back to where you used to come from, Let your mind run back to when you used to just be an old dirty, rotten sinner, enjoy the pleasures of carnality for a while. You ever get tired of just, no, don't do this, and no, don't do that, and you got to learn to do this? You ever get tired of that? You ever get tired of the way? You know what can do? It can be wearisome to you. You say, why? Because there's not always a lot of rewards for being on the right path. It's still the right path. And then a preacher gets up and he preached to you about doing right and living right and those kinds of things. And it's like, I'm tired of hearing those sermons. There's always something wrong with me. Guess what? There will be until you're in the box or until the rapture. But do you ever get tired of that? you ever get tired of being told you're wrong? you ever get tired of the way? You know, there's only one way that you could ever find out that you're not wrong. You're either dead or in heaven. Otherwise, there's always room for improvement. Now our problem, ladies and gentlemen, is, is we get tired of constantly being corrected because we're so much better than other people. We're so much better than the charismatics, aren't we? Come on, I'm not setting you up. You are better, aren't you? I mean, the way you talk about them, you must be better than them. right? They're imbeciles. They're idiots. They're fools. They need a bridle for the tongue that they have. They don't rightly divide. They are soaking people in forty-wake motor oil, jumping around on the floor like they're having some kind of epileptic seizure. I mean, they're idiots, aren't they? Come on, I mean, that, I mean, aren't we so much better than them? So much better than them wafer-eating, hoots-drinking Catholics, aren't we? Aren't we better than them? I mean, them poor old demented people, I mean, do all that crazy stuff and hail Mary full of grapes and walk around on rice and act all kinds. Aren't we, we're just, we're so much better than they are. Aren't we really? And they're going to hell and you're going to heaven. You're so much better than the church of Christ because we know where baptism fits. We don't believe it saves you. It's a testimony of a good conscience toward the Lord. It shows our faith in something that's already been done inside. We're an outward testimony. We're so much better than the morons. You know the morons, don't you? They live out in Utah. They got secret underwear. They got baptizing people that are dead for the dead. They don't have the right Bible. We're so much better than them. But boy, when it comes to love and compassion... Being sold out for their faith, I'd be willing to bet you you'll see a Catholic priest on the battlefield before you'll see a Baptist preacher out there. You study war and look at some of the things that have gone on. You know it's an odd thing to me. They don't even have anything to offer them, and they're willing to put themselves in harm's way. And a Baptist preacher is afraid to put himself in harm's way for the benefit of telling to have somebody check out of this world and into the next. They're out there giving them last rites. They're condemning them to go to hell. I've seen that thing happen so many times. I think to myself, well, that's a terrible thing. And the Lord said, well, there ain't nobody else to do it, so I guess he's doing it. Why don't somebody else knock him out of the way and say, hey, let me tell you the way, the truth, and the life. But we're better than him, aren't we? I'm just saying if we really got it, is, is the attitude that we have what it should be or are we just kind of weary with all the other people? You know, if all the other religions were like us, them stinking, towel-headed, rug-riding, sword-carrying Muslims. <laughs> how do you think you'd be if you were raised in that environment? I don't like them. I'm not trying to make a peace pipe. I'm not going to smoke a poose pipe with them or sing kubayah around the campfire. I'm not compromising with that. I know their religion is wrong. But i got to be very careful not to be so arrogant that I'm better than they are. I wasn't raised in that environment. Or I'd probably be a rug-riding, towel-wearing Muslim. Yeah, la, 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 la. <laughs> I'll say this for them. They're willing to die for what they believe. Yeah, yeah. That's embarrassing to me. That is shameful to me. That they don't have anything. You know what I admire about the communists? They were willing to give everything they had for the benefit of somebody else. And they were willing to die for that cause. And their cause was nothing. But boy, when it comes to Christians, die? Oh, I'm not even talking about physical death. How about your reputation? You say, how do I know my reputation's intact? You're too uh, easily offended. That's how you know your reputation's intact. You're full of pride. That's why you get offended. Only by pride cometh contention. You having a problem? You're full of pride. You say, you can't tell me that. I didn't tell you that. The Bible said that. You get easily offended. You know what those people do? They don't care what you think of them. I kill you. Okay. I'll die. Blow myself up. Where's the virgins? Duh, sorry. Somebody sold you a bill of goods. But you know what happens? They're willing to die for their cause. You can't even get people to give up. Soccer and baseball and football and things on Sunday anymore. You can't get people to commit to the Lord till their comforts are taken care of. It's not time to pray yet. Some you kind of you say, "What is it? I think we've grown weary at the message. I think we've grown weary of the way. I think we're getting tired of telling people our way is the right way." You say, "What? It's a tired of uh, suffering." It brings me to my next point. All right, I don't get weary of uh, suffering for the cause of Christ not persecution I'm talking about suffering tragedy and trial I'm talking about going through tribulation Paul said we with much tribulation enter into the kingdom not talking about going through the tribulation these fools telling you the church is going to go through the tribulation because they ain't got anything better to do than to do that you know what that is that's a lazy individual who's not living for Jesus Christ all they're trying to do is make some theological mark and get everybody to waste their time reading their papers on what all's going to happen and all that hey why don't you just reach people and let the lord take care of that you know what that is that's a, that's a duck behind scholarship to keep you from getting out there and doing what you ought to be doing what should you be doing putting out living for the lord doing something for him are we everybody okay I'm almost done we're tired I'm so tired of hearing that I'm just tired I talked to a guy yesterday a preacher i just just be honest with you I'm just tired you know, I can't tell you what part of the country he's from but he's tired he ain't tired he's tired I said, you're tarred." He said, I am. I started to say, is there an ARIA in the beginning of that? <laughs> he said, preacher, I'm just tired. I said, you're tired. I said, you're 28 years old, and you're tarred." He said, well, preacher, I've been doing this a long time. Y'all are getting it. I said, how long you been there where you're at? He said, I've been here four long years. I said, I can see why you're tarred. He said, there just ain't nothing going on. It just ain't happening. I said, boy, I said, you got to plow the field before you ever plant it. And depending on the condition of the field, when you got there, There's a lot of plowing has to be done before you ever see any plants go in the ground. And then when the seed goes in, it's still got to be watered and weeded for a long time before they begin to peep up there and then some stuff come out. He says, well, I mean, how long have you been at it? And I said, never mind that. (laughs) But I thought to myself, that's Christians today. I'm just hard." I'm, I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired. Every time I turn around, I'm at the hospital again. I'm at the funeral home again. I got the bad news again today on the telephone. So-and-so's got cancer. So-and-so's got leukemia. So-and-so's got COVID. So-and-so died. So-and-so messed up. So-and-so's out of the will of God now. So-and-so run off with so-and-so. Such-and-such a church split. Preacher, I'm just, I'm just tired of, of hearing that. I'm, I'm tired of the suffering that comes with it. Well, I hate to tell you, it's going to continue to the day you're gone. You say, why? The Lord told you that. Paul's your example. But I want to ask you a question. What is there to be tired of? You're doing something right for a change. You ever get, think of this? Do you get tired of working? Come on, be honest. Do you get tired of working? Well, sure you do. That's not, you're like, I, I don't know. Am I, do, I, do I get tired of working? You tired of working? We're tired of working. (laughs) But you still go for 30 years. You get tired of them not-headed kids? You still work on raising them, don't you? It's funny where you draw that line on tired, ain't it? You don't get tired of the money that comes in that pays your bills. Right? I guess it matters what you really care about. Preacher, I'm just tired. Why is it always a spiritual thing you're tired of? You're willing to suck it up and do what you got to do to make a living. I agree with that. I think you should. You earn a living by the sweat of your brow. I believe in he that doesn't work, doesn't eat. I believe in all that stuff. But it's interesting how when you get tired, the first thing you'll do is miss church, but you won't miss work. That's odd to me. You're going to live with him in eternity. And if you're that tired, why don't you take a day off from work? No, I'll just take off Sunday. That, maybe that's across the plate too straight. Maybe I shouldn't. You see, you're fickled. You say, why? Wow, you've grown tired of the way. You've grown worn out. Can I say this? Don't get tired of looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. You say, when's he coming? I got no idea. I think he's late. <laughs> I think he's late. You know, I heard these people would say all the time, they would say, you know, when the last one gets saved, you know, then uh, the Lord's gonna come, you know, and that kind of I'm thinking, man, when's that last one getting in the boat? But you know what's begun to happen? I can preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ and preach on the rapture, and it used to, man, I mean, they'd begin, the, the nails would begin to come loose in the ceiling talk about the Lord coming from heaven and the white horses coming down man and coming back at the second advent and the battle of Armageddon and the blood of the horses bridles boy and that thing get real come through the judgment seat of Christ and and be up there with the Lord and sit down at the supper table like Mephibosheth and tell that story man I mean it get just wild eyed and crazy and now you tell that stuff and you're like yeah I know they said he's coming but He ain't been here on my day, so I just figure he ain't coming. Well, he's coming one day. But you know what I've learned? I've learned this. And Titus, you know what he says? He said, he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. I know why people don't want to look for the rapture anymore. You don't want to be pure. You don't want to live your life, ma'am or sir, so that if the Lord were to come back tonight, you'd be ready to meet him. Your hand's in the cookie jar, and you don't want mama to come back and catch you. That's independent, fundamental, King James only Bible believers that are ripping up churches and tearing up families and they don't care if the devil uses their body or their tongue to do it. They could care less. You say, why? They're forgetting the Lord's coming one day and he's going to set the account straight. And you may win the battle down here right now and the Lord's going to call you at the judgment seat of Christ and say, hey, come here, sister. Come here, brother. Come here, preacher. Come here, pastor. Come here, deacon. Come here, trustee. Come here, church member. It's reckoning day. Oh, I'm for the Lord coming back, but I know why people don't like to hear it anymore. Our world has slipped into the darkness and the depths of sin and depravity and it's now crawling through and creeping through the churches like an inkwell boy has gone out like an octopus has just sent out that old black ink and stuff and it's just creeping through the churches and people now are just as dead to the coming of Jesus Christ as if we didn't even believe it. And they're all hung up in this. We're going to go through the tribulation. We're going to go through the tribulation. To get your guns ready and get your money ready. We're going to go through the tribulation. We'll get against the government. We don't vote for so and so. Get for such and such. I mean such carnal living and stuff like that. Hey, the Lord told you you're not going to go through the tribulation. But can I say this to you? You're going to go to heaven. Amen. What are you so worried about your skin for? Job says, skin for skin, oldest book in the Bible, skin for skin, all to the man hath he give for his life. You know, you have to realize, you have to reckon, ladies and gentlemen, you're messing with a bigger chessboard than you realize. You think Eve recognized when she ate the tree over there, the knowledge of good and evil, that she was going to wreck humanity? That's one woman making one bad decision and 6,000 years of sin that followed on all of mankind because of one decision. You think you're not important in the church? You think you're not that, that doesn't matter to you? Do you realize you have a ripple effect? You can throw a little tiny pebble into a pond and it sends ripples out in every direction. You have no idea what the collateral damage is by what you're doing. You say, well, nobody else knows about it and stuff like that. Oh, you're a part of a bigger picture. You're part of a body. And whenever you do that, you know what happens? You start off a chain of events that takes place. And the next thing you know, there's little waves splashing up on somebody else's shore. And you say, what is it? We've grown weary in well-doing. It's right to do right, ladies and gentlemen. It's right to be aware that the Bible warned you about it in the last days or he wouldn't put it in there. Galatians 6 and 2 Thessalonians both tell you not to be weary in well-doing. Don't get worn out doing right. Well, why did he put it in there? Unless there's a potential for it to happen, oh look, I'm free you taking a vacation. I really am. I'm free you taking a vacation. I know you need time to break. You need to get away, come apart, or you're going to come apart. I I, I understand that, but you don't realize the intensity of the battle you're engaged in. You don't recognize the 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 the, the enemy that you're facing. He's not here to play games. He's here to take scalps. And all He wants to do is to get you to quit before the rapture or before you die. That's all He wants to do. He can't take your soul. He wants your testimony. He wants the testimony not to be, well, they did this, they did this, they did this. You know what He wants? They quit. They quit. Every one of you has the ability to do damage to the body of Christ by saying, I quit. You get in a bad scrape, you know what? You don't really care how great the individual next to you looks. You just want to know that there's somebody with you getting shot at with you. You ask a real Marine who he's fighting for or what he's fighting for, you know what he say? The guy on either side of me. He won't say to you, I'm fighting for this cause and I'm fighting for America and I'm fighting for the America. You know what he'll say? I'm fighting for the guy on either side of me. You talk to real operators, I mean real operators, guys that are uh, SEAL teams and paratroopers and rangers and that kind of stuff. You know what they are? They're an elite group. You know who they fight for? Each other. You know what they do? They prepare the way to make it easier for the people coming in there behind them. And most of them do their work and nobody even knows they did the work. Unlike Christians. Boy, as soon as we do something, we got it right off the bat, you know. Look what they did. We hope they do it again. It's the first time in 30 years they've done anything. <laughs> Don't we get weary? I recognize where I'm at. I know you're an independent, fundamental, Bible believing church. I know you believe the Bible. We're the ones in most danger. Because we sit back because we're better than most. And we sit back on what we've done and what we're doing as if we don't need any improvement. I got one more. Don't be weary. Don't give up yet. You can go ahead and zip up your Bible. I'm done. You know this one. You got it down pat. You got all the verses. Don't worry about it. Don't be weary. Don't get worn out with being thankful. When you lose the ability to show gratitude to others as well as for what God's done to you, you are on the fast track to literally, before you could even recognize it, Be an apostate. Bob Jones Sr. said years ago, I listened to these old men. Bob Jones Sr. said something that's timeless. You know what he said? The first step to apostasy is a lack of gratitude. When's the last time that you just paused and just reviewed your life, as bad as it might be, Can you find anything in there where God did something for you that was supernatural in nature? Besides just your salvation, that's supernatural in and of itself. My salvation and His salvation are different in the sense that I got saved when I was seven. Unfortunately, the majority of the sinning that I did was after I saved. I didn't do a whole lot before I was seven. little demon came out of me when I got saved. Might have been a little bit different for somebody that got saved later. But you know what I know? Past salvation. I can point back in my life and I can say, Oh yeah, but God... Oh, oh yeah, but God. Oh, wow, but God. Yeah, but God. you know what happens? We oftentimes forget to just go back and look at those Ebenezer stones. Just go back and go, you know something? God intervened right there, and God intervened. You remember that desperation you had? Oh, man, God, if you don't do something, God, you got to do something. God, if you don't do something, oh, God, thank you for doing something. But you forgot about it. He got you out of the mess, he got you out of the trouble, he got you out of the sickness, he got you out of the hospital. He brought the prodigal back home. He filled up the bank account. Things got straightened down. Oh, thank you, Lord, but I forgot it, it got erased off my hard drive. We're out of the habit of thinking, waking up in the morning and saying, thank you, Lord, for watching over me while I was sleeping. Thank you that I can still breathe air. Thank you that I can still walk around. I'm looking at Brother Yochum last night, sitting here, half dead, shouldn't have been here, in a wheelchair, a paraplegic, saying, thank you, Lord, I could come to church. And the Lord's like, hey, he's glad he could come to church. How about you? I'm thinking, man. I mean no offense, but if I was bumping triple digits... And still sitting on a pew. I believe I might be thinking, the Lord. I mean, you know, well, I mean, I know where I'd be. Careful. Mama Utley over there in North Carolina right now, she's blind in one eye and can't see out of the other one. She can't have here. You know what she says? Could somebody just come get me by the elbow, set me on the front row, give me my Bible, and she'll just sit there. She can't hear a bomb go off. She just wants to be in church. She is so grateful that she can just, without being able to see or hear, she's just glad to be in church. Our churches have grown weary of just good old fashioned Thanksgiving service a testimony that stands up and said, Hey, want to thank God, and then fill in the blank. We've grown cold in that thanks. And God doesn't get the glory like He used to because we've got short memories. I don't mean that as a rebuke. I just simply mean it as a statement of fact. In the last days of Laodicea, we've become very angry and very angry. I mean, and and, and very uh, arrogant in the fact that we think, you know, we deserve everything we're getting instead of saying, Lord, you know, if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be in a Bible-believing church. Could I ask you this? Who showed you that the King James Bible is the Word of God? Could I ask you this? Who showed you how to rightly divide it? Say well I was taught by the old preacher I was taught by so and so I was taught by so and so Really? And why did you happen to be in the place You could pick it up? You think you did that? Why do you get to be in this elite crowd? Do you think you did that? Or maybe the natural hand of God just directed you here, directed you there, put you here and put you there. You better be careful about complaining too much. The Lord puts you where you got so you could get what you got. You might want to just pause and say, Lord, thank you. I just want to say thank you. I, I didn't really, I mean, you could be sitting in a Catholic church tonight or whenever they have the wafer, ma- the mass thing. When was the last time you just said, Lord? Yes, sir. You know, it's been a while, so not just... I mean, I just come to the altar just to say thank you. You know, what do you want? I have a little uh, grandkid. You know what they do? They crawl up in your lap, and they, it's a strange thing about them—the younger that they are, they haven't learned how to manipulate Pawpaw yet. So you know what they do? They crawl up, and all they do is they ask for stuff. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And so she's sitting up there and Papa, can I have this? Papa can I have this? Papa can I have this? Papa can I have this. You know, and I'm a pushover man. I'm like, give her everything, give her the whole, give her the candy, give her I don't care, it doesn't matter, and then send her home because I don't want to deal with her on the sugar high, right? And the Lord said, that's kinda like your prayer life. You crawl up in my lap and say, Can I have this? 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 And you know what you never have pause to do? Lord, thank you for this and thank you for this and thank you for this. And I realize that on my prayer life. I'm always asking I'm sure you're not that way but I'm that way and Lord said maybe you know once or twice a month maybe we could just have a talk where you just come in and just say Lord I am just looking over this past four weeks and I want to thank you for a good church thank you for a good wife and thank you for my home and thank you for my health And thank you that I'm not where I could be if it hadn't been for your intervention. And thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. And thank you for washing me in the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you for knowing I have an eternal home in heaven. And thank you that no matter how bad things get down here, I know it's going to be good up there one day. And thank you. And before long, you know what I don't even realize? I lost track of time. And I come out of there and there's something different about me because I realize where all blessings come from, but we've grown weary in Laodicea because we have become entitled as a congregation. and We think we deserve more than He's given us. Oh, He has given us so much. Heavenly Father, would you help us not to get weary in these last days in well-doing, not to get worn out with the prodigals and the baby Christians and the people that are in not to get worn out with the way and doing things the way we ought to do them not to get weary and looking for your coming Lord would you please help us as these curtains close and the hour gets later and later and it gets darker and darker God would you please help us to get back to the basics help us Lord as we get ready to go out of this world and into the next to go out as a grateful church loving and caring about You, witnessing and talking about You, telling others about how good You have been to us. And Lord, that we might curb our speech to a certain degree and not be in such a hurry to point out all of the apostates, but to maybe just season that a bit with how good You've been to us, that we might draw people to You because of how You've treated us, not because we're better than everybody else. Lord, help us because we need help. We are naturally prone to draw, to protect and care for our flesh. And pray, Lord, you'll help us to lay that flesh tonight upon the altar as Abraham, Abraham did Isaac, as you did your only son, that we might say, Lord, whatever it takes, I've I got to learn to not get weary in well-doing. Bless this church, this pastor, this family, these people. Thank you, God, for what a blessing they've been to my church. To me and to my wife for the things that they've done for us and I pray Lord you'll keep them strong and please help them not to get weary in the way we pray in the name of Jesus Christ Amen